music, news, entertainment. It's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hi, it's Kelly, and thank you so much for spending time with us on the show this week. We are very excited to welcome pop recording artist, songwriter, and actor, Kevin Quinn. Kevin is going to talk to us about his new album, Real Me, why John Mayer is so influential to him as an artist and a musician, and the importance of mental health. We're then going to be joined by our music editor, Sharon Hyland, chatting about George Michael and the idea that his estate may be working on some sort of stage show involving George featured as a hologram. Follow us on Instagram, Kelly Alexander Show. We are so excited to welcome to the Kelly Alexander Show a singer-songwriter, a recording artist, an actor, Kevin Quinn, who has a new album just about to drop called Real Me. Kevin, thanks so much for hanging out on the show. Thanks for having me. So first of all, have to uh, ask right away, are your parents, like family members, supportive of your career in entertainment? Because it's not easy. Uh, They are very supportive, probably. (laughs) Honestly, they're the ones who keep me grounded and, and keep going at times. Like there, I'm not going to lie. Like there have been days when, cause this industry is tough, you know, and there have been days where I'm like, you guys, I don't know. I I'm honestly thinking I'm just going to give it up and like take another job in a different industry. And they're like, no, you got to keep going. Like they're so supportive. I'm like the one at this point saying like, trying to convince them that this is no longer sensical. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, amazing. Uh, who yeah, did you listen to in the house growing up? And and I'm assuming your parents influenced you on maybe early music that you listened to. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially my dad. My dad is a big music buff. Um, you know, obviously his taste. He's older. He's a he's a boomer. He's <laughs> he's 64. So he's you know, he listens to like Beatles and Bruce Springsteen. And but yeah, he used to like spin vinyls in, in the basement and stuff. We had a record player and I was a kid and I'd go down there and listen with him. And yeah, I think he was a big influence in, in who I listen to and how I appreciate good music. Um, my mom, I, I don't think she specifically was like a big influence of my love for music, but she's very creative, you know, like she still has a creative gene. They both worked in advertising for a bit. So like, you know how it goes, like advertising is pretty creative, but my dad's the one who is like a big music buff. And I think I got it from him. And do you have like an artist that you know is like your spirit artist where like they influence you and and probably even some of the music that you're creating now? I love that question. Easy answer for you, John Mayer. I just just saw him at the Kia Forum here in LA two weeks ago and it was the first time I saw him, one of his concerts. Um, Because I had seen him once perform with Dead and Company, like the Grateful Dead but this was like his show. And I, I knew every song, every lyric, I was sing, sing along, like every guitar lick. I was like humming along with him by far, my spirit artist, um, huge influence in my, in my music. Now I understand you play multiple instruments. So can you tell us which ones you play and then which one is your spirit instrument? I play piano and guitar. Piano is probably my preferred of the two. I, I like something about how it's linear. Yeah. My brain kind of works in a linear way. Guitar is, it's a little bit more difficult because it's not so linear. Um, but I love that with piano. It's like, you know, it just goes on forever. And 
Um, it makes it easy for me to like compartmentalize chords and like, you know, it's just, it's easier on my brain, but I, I love playing the piano. Now, when you were a kid, like, did you start acting or were you in music first? Like, how did that roll out? I was in music first, which people don't expect because I've had a bit more success in the acting world up until this point. Uh, not success, but just like more credits and experience. Um, which is super counterintuitive to me because it all started, my professional career started when I auditioned for American Idol. And I thought that that was going to lead to a music career. I was like, oh, great. I'm on a music reality show. Like this is the start of my music career that I always wanted. And it didn't work out that way. It turned out that that was the impetus for my acting career. And I think it's just because, you know, it was a reality TV show and we were on camera and you know there was an agent in chicago who saw me and he he was like hey i want to sign you for acting representation i was like all right well i don't have much experience and i was planning on doing music but okay you know what i mean so um it was always my intention to have a music career first and acting just sort of worked out the way that it did how do you pull from your acting in your music career now? Like, obviously, I'm assuming it would help you doing music videos and all that stuff. And, I, and also, I've also stalked you a fair amount on your social media and you feel very at ease, like in front of the camera and all that stuff. So I'm assuming all of that plays a part. I think it does. Uh, I think storytelling is at the core of acting. And yes, it works great for music videos because I don't approach it like... I don't know if I approached it like other artists who don't have that acting experience. Like I, even if there's no dialogue in a music video, I still have like a character or like a situation that I've created and emotions that I plan on, you know, displaying in certain moments and scenes. It, so it very much feels like an acting gig for me. Um, but on top of that, just at its core, it's storytelling, right? So like when I'm playing uh, a character in an acting job, I'm telling a story. And that's the same thing when I'm behind the mic recording a song. It's like, I feel like the song has an arc. Like verse one is the start of the story. The pre is when we start to get to the rising action, you know, like basic story structure. The climax is the hook. Falling action is the bridge. And, you know, so it's like, I, I feel like I use the arc and, and the storytelling uh, that I learned from acting in my music. And I think it makes for stronger, stronger songs. Now, if I've stalked you appropriately, I think you did a lot of your recording for this album in Nashville. Is that true? True or false? That's false, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, surprisingly, most of this album was recorded in Los Angeles. Okay. I think there was maybe one song that was... No, no everything was recorded in LA. Some stuff, like there were maybe two songs that were written in Nashville but I recorded them in Los Angeles. So everything was recorded in Los Angeles. And do you find that being in LA, like, is there a certain vibe that you have when you're in the studio because of being in Los Angeles? Like, does your location play a part in what you're doing? I I don't think so. I, however, to play devil's advocate, I do think there is a sort of laid back culture in Los Angeles that somehow creeps its way into the studio and it's nice here like pretty much all year i mean it's december 1st and i'm looking outside and it's like 70 degrees and sunny right now as i'm recording this and so you know it's like that kind of positive sunny energy like flows into the studio um and it just makes for like this laid back summery kind of feel and 
I think that actually works for like songs like Blessed and Learning to Let Go. They kind of have like that cool swaggy, like not a care in the world summer day vibe. Um, would I have gotten that in Nashville in December when it's a little bit cold and gloomy? Probably. <laughs> so it's, it could it could probably be in my head, but you know, that's my best answer for that question. That's perfect. And I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you brought up less because it's amazing. The song is super, it's super catchy. It's super chill. Um, was it a difficult decision or is it an easy decision to choose that as your lead off single? And now that you tell me John Mayer is your man, I feel like it explains blessed a little bit. Is that true? It it does. It is true. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I love that. John Mayer's my man. <laughs> um, no, I think, well, also blessed was surprisingly blessed was written, uh, two years before the rest of the project. So everything else that you hear on the album, um, was written around the same time, like this, you know, maybe within the past six months to a year, but blessed was written like two or three years ago at this point, which is crazy. So, I think it just happened that it it worked and fit into the project really nicely. So I added it in there, but I kind of like that it was the lead single and the first one to introduce the project because chronologically it was written before. And so I like that it's like the first entry of the story and what listeners will hear first so that it will introduce the even newer stuff, uh, like almost in a chronological order. And, um, the album itself talk to us about why you call it real me so explain the title and then uh is there a message that you're trying to get across to your audience with it or is it just a collection of songs well the reason i call it real me is because i i didn't intend i didn't name the album until all the songs are written and recorded and i had to come up with a title and it just so happened that three of the songs mentioned the theme real me learning to let go i'm not there yet and then of course real me which was called that um and so i was like this is a common theme it keeps showing up it's got to be the title like there's some there's got to be something deeper here and like in retrospect there definitely was something deeper um basically the meaning of real me has to do with how i went through some really difficult struggles uh, regarding my mental health that forced me to pretty much become a blank slate and rediscover myself and what was important to me, what I valued, who I was as a human being. Um, you know, and to an extent, we all go through that, you know, and I'm in my 20s. That's a very common thing, I'm told. However, this was a bit different. And, you know, the kind that the kind of uh, discovering myself that I went through uh, had more to do with uh, a particular mental health issue that made me struggle with my identity. And so um, I was kind of forced to, like I even moved to Arizona for a brief moment and just spent time in the mountains, like rediscovering myself entirely, um, which was really good for me. Um, but I called it real me because after I spent that time rediscovering myself, and felt like I had finally formed this new version of my identity that I was so desperately seeking. It felt like I was reborn and an entirely new version of me that I didn't even think of myself in that way before that time. So in a sense, it was like, this is the real me. This is the, the person who I am now 
and this person is different, a different identity than who I was um, before. Super ethereal and in a nutshell, like it, it, it's just a, a period of intense growth, I guess you could call it. Um, but it, it, it is like what I consider to be the real me and the most authentic version of myself, if that makes sense. I know you've been um, very open on your social media about mental health and and the importance of it. Is there a, a responsibility that you feel uh, because you've been open about it? Because I know you have a lot of fans, like you have a lot of social media followers. So, I don't, so I'm sure many of them have probably DM'd you or just even commented in your comment section. So how has that been for you to handle because you've been so forthright with things? It's It's been amazing. I mean, I started like um, a podcast, uh, a mental health podcast, and the the kind of response I've gotten on that has been incredible. And people saying it like changed their lives, you know, I'm like, that's all I could hope for, you know, like that's the kind of stuff I wish I heard. The stuff on that podcast is the stuff I wish I heard when I was going through it, you know, so if I can do that for someone else and pay it forward, that's what I want to do. And I, I do feel a responsibility, you know, because I feel like I have so much experience in this space of mental health. I've dealt with it since I was a kid. I'm being honest. You know, it's kind of like what came first, the chicken or the egg? It's like I at a super young age had all this success and, you know, this ability to be in front of a camera at 16 years old. But was that because I was sort of neurodivergent or was, you know, that mental health experience a result of that unique experience being that young in the industry? I don't know, you know, so but regardless, it doesn't change the fact that I do feel this responsibility. Um, I'm even starting a, a 501c3, a, a nonprofit, which I just incorporated with the state of California, and I have plans to um you know, um, it's, I have this product that I'm developing and I, I plan to put it online. Um, but I think it's going to really help a lot of people. And, and that was the goal with creating this nonprofit. I can't say what the product is yet because I don't want anyone to steal the idea, but it's really good. And I'm so excited about it. And I just know that it's going to impact a lot of people. And, um, you know, it's funny, like even yesterday I got my hair cut. And I'm sitting in the, the haircut chair and um, my hair stylist, she actually struggles with mental health openly too. And she loves that every time she's told me this, she's like, every time you come into my chair and you talk about it, it's just, it highlights my day. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like that I can come in here and you get a chance to talk about it. And I get a chance to talk about it and we can support each other. Um, and so I was talking to her about it as usual and some of the new stuff and developments. And in the other chair, there was this woman just casually eavesdropping. I didn't think anything of it, but at the end of it, she hands me her business card. She says, just so you know, I, I hate to tell you, but I, I eavesdropped, I admit it. I absolutely loved your conversation. Here's my card. If you ever need anything, reach out. And she was like the CEO of a you know, giant mental health company. And you know, I was like, that's the way it goes though. It's like for something that's so stigmatized, it's like, as soon as you talk about it, you realize like people love talking about it because it's just like, we can all relate to an extent. Like, even if we're not suffering from like chronic mental health issues, it's like everyone knows what it's like to feel anxious or depressed in a certain situation. It's like, these are universal human emotions that deserve like attention. And if we can support each other, 
and make each other happier human beings through embracing it and supporting each other, then that's like a beautiful act of service that we as human beings can do for each other. Very true. That's amazing, Kevin. And because you, you know, uh, we're talking about you went through this challenging time and you even moved to Arizona for a bit. Um, how was recording the album then? Like, was it therapy in a way uh, to help like you deal with some of the the trials and tribulations that you went through? 100%. Absolutely. Actually, uh, I was writing, I was staying at this, like, I guess you could call it like a mental health retreat but those kind of things exist in Arizona. And so I was staying on like this campus and in the cafeteria, there was um, like a piano. And I just remember like sitting down at the piano and staying up late when everyone went to bed and I would write these songs and I didn't have my phone because like they encourage you not to have your phone. So they actually confiscate it uh, because they want you to focus on your health and stuff. And so I, had a notebook and a pen and I would just handwrite chords on the piano and lyrics to them. And with the idea being like, yeah, like in three weeks when I'm done with this retreat, I'll like, you know, record it on my phone. But I was writing songs during that time on a notepad. Uh, and some of that stuff like became the sound of what real me is. Um, and like, there were like these um, like attendants and um, employees who like would uh, monitor and, you know, and, but they let me stay up late. Like even when everyone went to bed, <laughs> they're like, this kid obviously loves music. Like, let's just let him stay up until one in the morning, like doing his thing. And I would like wave at them, you know, like, Hey, you know, I I'll go to bed. But yeah, it was, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was just like, this the point being that stuff emerged in real me and the sounds emerged in real me and the, and the songs uh so beautifully encapsulate like what that experience was for me do you have a specific song on the album that stands out to you a little more than the others because i realize they're all your babies there's no question but is there one that really kind of is like that's that's my my jam learning to let go by far I love that song. That song to me is like after it's like a big moment in a movie at you're sitting in the theater and it's like the couple finally gets together and they kiss or something. And then it's like the credits roll and it's like, washed all my plans slip through my hands. I can see the picture perfect. I just like jam out to it. And I have that like movie moment in my head. I'm like, hell yeah, this is, this is what I'm talking about, man. Like this is, this is a, uh, yeah, it's, I love that song. I love that. Song. Um, before we go, I just have a couple of questions for you. I did want to ask you, uh, is there an artist or producer that you would love to work with that's on your bucket list? You know what? Um, my sister would get very excited if I worked with Taylor Swift. I don't know if she's looking for male features, but I do appreciate her artistry and um, I particularly the folklore album she did because I'm a huge Bon Iver fan. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it'd be cool to like do something with Taylor Swift. Like if she just needed a male feature or something. If you it's, it's a pretty big ask, I know <laughs> putting it into the universe. That's what we do. Um, Why not? If you could switch places with another artist for one day, just to see how 
their life goes, who would it be and why? Hmm. Oh man. Good question. Um, I would want to see what life is like for like, uh, a rock star, like, uh, you know, like, like a Mick Jagger or a Springsteen or, you know, um, someone who was like really big in in that era of, you know, 40 years ago. And then, um, you know, that they're still on the road today. I, I would be interested to see what that was like. Yeah. Maybe Mick Jagger. I think that'd be cool. That's very cool. Um, what is always in your fridge? Hmm. Um, not much. I don't grocery shop as often as I should, but when I do grocery shop, I weirdly always like to have salad, like just generic romaine chopped bagged washed lettuce because it makes me feel like I'm eating healthy, even though it's been proven that there's like not a whole lot of nutritional value in iceberg lettuce. But I also like salad dressings. <laughs> and so I love like mixing and matching different dressings on the same generic lettuce. I don't know. I, like I'll, yeah, I don't even need like toppings, but I do like, I do like salads. Like I'll chop up some red pepper, some yellow pepper, maybe throw in, you know, some sunflower seeds. I, I'm like the salad chef. You know, I, if I were working uh, at a restaurant, I'd be like the, the antipasti uh yeah <laughs> that is awesome um do you have a favorite board game balderdash it's kind of a retro game but i retro. found it in my closet like a year ago just like buried underneath there and i started playing it with friends on like game nights and i it's so funny it's so funny yeah um what do you hope to manifest for yourself in, like over the next six months to a year? Like what's in Kevin Quinn's plan of action? Ooh, a lot. To be honest, I would really like to see this nonprofit take off this idea that I have um, because I do feel passionate about it. And it it's something separate from the music and the acting stuff. And I like that. It feels refreshing to be able to work on something different and have something that's my own. So I, I would really hope that it, it does well. Perfect. And last question, uh, what message do you have for your um, fans, especially if any of them are struggling with mental health issues? Get back up one more time than you fall um, and expect to fall a lot. That would be my advice. Awesome. Kevin, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, Kelly. I really appreciate it. That is Kevin Quinn. Make sure to check out his brand new album called Real Me and hit up his website, kevinquinnofficial.com. Listen anytime, anyplace, just a click away, kellyalexandershow.com. Very happy to welcome back to the Kelly Alexander Show, our music editor, Sharon Highland. And I will take the opportunity, Sharon, to wish you a happy new year, because even though it's mid-January, why not? I say we keep on wishing the happy just until people get comfortable. Uh, yeah. Sorry, not not comfortable till people get uncomfortable. <laughs> That's, you know what's funny is I don't know if I told you this the other day when we were chatting, but um, I had someone tell me like early into the new year, uh, like New Year was five years ago, like or sorry, five five days ago. Okay, like, yep. time, time to move on. And I'm like, uh, 
first week. Like First week. And what's wrong with wishing somebody something happy? I know, right? And it was funny. So because of that situation, I actually did... Um, a topic about that on my radio show mm-hmm. because I want I find this appalling and it was so funny I first did it as a topic on our uh, Facebook page because yep. it's good to get reaction there mm-hmm. and then did it on air and it was funny because one of the reactions uh, on the Facebook conversation was amazing because the guy said I will keep or I will accept any good wishes at any po- point if someone feels like you know generous enough to, to wish it in the world that we live in which exactly. I thought was like amazing yeah. So, well, it's also the I think the people that uh, take offense to you wishing them uh, Merry Christmas. Right. Why well, don't celebrate Christmas? I, I'm wishing you like the merry parts of the thing that I celebrate. So here it is. You know, <laughs> <laughs> marry that. <laughs> and people, some people are funny though. Yeah. Here's some eggnog in your lap. It's Thanks for so nothing. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> this took a turn, Kel. <laughs> so I'll turn it back to the topic that we're about to discuss, which is um I saw an article and it's funny because in a way, I understand why this would be happening, but in a way, I'm kind of shocked that it would be happening with this artist. So we're talking about holograms mm-hmm. and um, certain artists in the past have done this. Like, I believe Tupac was one of the estates that let this go on. Yep. But we're talking about George Michael and uh, there's word on the street that maybe Ooh. in 2025, there will be some sort of hologram situation going on for George Michael, which knowing how his estate operates you know, they wouldn't even have a memorial service for him after his passing, right? For mm-hmm. his fans, like a public goodbye, like there was none of that. Um, as far as I know, too, like you really can't access his gravesite either. You know what I mean? Which is totally, yeah. I understand that. But just so I'm I'm even shocked that apparently they were and are enter, ent, uh, entertaining the idea of there being some sort of hologram uh, for George Michael in the future, especially because I, I sent you this article, so I know you read it, but it sounds like uh, last year, his estate was bringing in 50,000 pounds a day. Whoa. So there's interest for him to continue. Well, clearly, and man, like just, I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about a hologram. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just love the music. So if there's a way to celebrate the music and it's new and it's, you know, interesting to, to people who really want to maintain the access, mm-hmm. why not? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it seems kind of fun. Um, and when you look at what ABBA did. Yes. Like the attention to detail and certainly not surprising that that uh, the force behind ABBA would have, you know, paid this much attention to the detail. Mm-hmm. But people love it. And that band's never getting back together. Similarly, George Michael is gone. Mm-hmm. But if there's a way to keep the music going in a, like in a new level i say why not people will love it well and and what's interesting too in, in the situation that we read is that andrew ridgely of wham especially because you know i should preface this by saying coming off that documentary that everybody oh, was so in love with last year yeah and definitely renewed interest in wham even though there's i think there's always interest in wham like it just agreed is, you know mm-hmm. and uh so he has said that he's totally open to the idea of some sort of wham revival in a hologram type of way and he obviously was very um compassionate and saying or i should say also self-aware he's like you know it would have to be a conversation between myself and michael and george's estate mm-hmm. make sure it's all handled properly but so yeah there could be 
a George Michael hologram, you know, it'd be nice if they could figure out this wham thing. But I am also in your wheelhouse where like, I'm not sure about the hologram situation, but I also see the benefit of just having a way to, because in a way, I think, I think if you view it and I think if the person putting it together or the team that's putting it together views it as more of um creative expression rather than like yeah. this fake George Michael. You right. Know. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's very creative mm-hmm. and it's a, uh, it's more of an experience, mm-hmm. which having seen George Michael perform on two separate occasions, seeing him live was an experience. He gave it his all. I remember seeing him at the Olympic stadium in the eighties and the Olympic Stadium, that would have been over 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. And he was running back and forth, like running to this side of the stage, sing, dance, sing, dance, running to the other side of the stage, sing, dance, sing, dance. It was like, it was work, mm-hmm. but he did it because he was, you know, interested in pleasing his fans that way. So I think that, I think he would be into it. Yeah. Okay, and, and I think that's what uh, people on the inside are saying, too, that he would be down with something, you know, next level creative and as a a show of appreciation for the fans. Yeah. And the part I don't know if you read that part in the article where it sounded a little confusing to me, where it sounds like George was looking into this, you know, in right. the past when he was still uh, alive, obviously, along with his manager at the time. And then they figured out that. Uh, the technology wasn't there as of yet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why I'm not sure. Cause then the article kind of ended. So it didn't really say like, well, are we really going to have this attempt again in 2025 or, or was this something that they looked at and then put it on the shelf and then, or is it going to come off the shelf again? Like it was a bit ambiguous. What I like about the source of this article is that they do sort of take a nugget of something mm-hmm. and make a story about it. So, yes, the questions were asked, and yes, Andrew Ridgely commented, um, but where are they exactly for the plans for this? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that we know. But like you said, um, if he had considered this years ago when he was still alive, doing something like that was very new at that time. Mm -hmm. And where they are now, if they can, at the beginning of 2024, say that it could be ready in 2025, that in and of itself is a um, a display of how much more advanced they are with the technology and that they probably really could just get it done. So they, I think that there's probably not that much work as far as, um, uh, you know, administrative, like let's get the thing signed and let's get moving forward. There's probably not a lot of work that needs doing, but there is something that needs confirming. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I did want to ask you this because you and I, massive fans of George Michael, we've had many yeah. conversations, you and I, over the years about it. Um, he has done so many collaborations with amazing artists like Whitney Houston, like Aretha Franklin. And it's kind of funny when I see those things pop up on, let's say, my YouTube channel or whatever. It's always crazy to know like, oh, yeah, him and Aretha are no longer together or like, yeah. you know, Whitney's gone. Um is there someone uh, that you wish he had have collaborated with and it, it never happened? I would have loved to have seen um, a Wham! reunion. Okay. Just for the, just because I love them. Mm-hmm. Like, they're they're so representative of a section of my young life that it would have been cool. And I think it might, I mean, all that we know and all that the, all that we, I say all that we know is if we know, but all that we think we know about how uh, George Michael 
may have struggled or uh, may have uh, wrestled demons or whatever, it might have been um, therapeutic for him to get back and sort of reset with Andrew Ridgely. And, you know, I think that that would have happened. I actually think that in the climate that we're in with so many other artists reuniting with bands, you know, um, like, you know, I think I thought hell would freeze over before Guns N' Roses would work things out. But they if they could work it out and and obviously Andrew and, and George didn't have that uh, like they left on good terms. From yeah, understand. So I think George in his older years might have been like, you know what? Like, let's revisit this, even like kind of like what Justin Timberlake is doing, you know, like he's gone back a little bit. And I think after his upcoming album, there might be something because there's been so much interest for NSYNC to come back. So I think I don't think you're wrong. I think there could have been a wham situation at some point had he uh, still, you know, been with us. And, And whether or not like 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 we both kind of agree that we're not sure how we feel about it for ourselves mm-hmm. but take us out of the equation i think it would be a really cool thing for i think people would like it and then in a fomo state uh i think i would end up wanting to go yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah because exactly. it wouldn't be bad it would be his music if mm-hmm. nothing else you know like mm-hmm. i just think yeah it'd be uh you know i think we just miss him i do I, we all do and the last thing i i will say to you before we wrap up is uh, I was always sad that his Symphonica tour never made it over to North America. Right. Because that, like, I was able to, and, uh, you know, we, we're all able to go on YouTube and take a look at at his magic with that. But it was just, it would have just been so amazing to be in that intimate situation watching him, like, perform with this amazing, you know, yeah. group of musicians behind him. So, And uh, one little uh, last bit on George Michael. Um we haven't talked about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, but I did watch all six hours of it. And how did that go, Sharon? Uh, well, it was broken up into parts because okay. I don't actually have six hours to sit and watch something. I don't think anybody does. Yeah. But, except for the people that were there because they paid to be there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, incredible to see Andrew Ridgely there. Incredible to hear him speak so eloquently and pay such great and beautiful tribute to George Michael. And I will admit to not wanting to like Carrie Underwood's performance just because all I had heard to that point was how much she loved him. And I thought we all love him, you know, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. what qualifies you? I mean, she's a wonderful singer. No question about it. I, that, that wasn't in my uh, list of critiques because I know she's very good, mm-hmm. but I thought, why you, you know, like maybe I, maybe someone a, a bit more, of uh, his contemporaries i thought might have been um because adam levine did a good job uh, miguel did a good job and then she came out and like like i said i didn't want to like it but she was incredible so i ended up being extra happy in the end (laughs) (laughs) not that it's all about me but uh, (laughs) um if you can see her performance it's great if you can see the whole tribute to him it was great and to be honest the whole um what they did the hell the whole show, all six hours of it was really good. And of course, Missy Elliott getting in was amazing. Awesome. I will uh, have to watch that because I watched the clips of, of Missy and of uh, the, the George tributes, but yeah, I didn't watch the full thing. And I think too, I was a bit scared to watch the edited version in case they took out parts I wanted to see. Yeah. Oh. Well, imagine the edited part was two hours, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they edited out four hours. <laughs> What's you think? Okay, what did they just show the people? He's in, she's in, yeah. they're in. It's great. 
<laughs> One other highlight for me, and I've been meaning to talk to you about this since I watched it, was uh, I love the spinners. Huge fan of the spinners. Yep. And was super happy when they got uh, got in and or that we found out that they were getting in. Um, and I don't think I paid too much attention to who was going to be paying tribute to whom. So then... When it, except for the Carrie Underwood thing, obviously, because <laughs> I was mad. Yeah. Um, but seeing uh, New Edition, first of all, seeing in the montage for the spinners, seeing boys to men talk about, you know, uh, they said no spinners, no boys to men. Yeah. Which I thought was amazing. Yeah. But then New Edition performing. Yeah. Incredibly. Yeah. Like just it was. I don't know. We had joy in our hearts, and that's what it felt like. Going, look at them. They look great. So that was super cool. Yeah, and New Edition have such swag, like when they're all yeah. dressed up and they're all fancy and all that. And uh, yeah, I love them. So that's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that, uh, Sharon, because now I have to get my hands on this footage. So yep. <laughs> <laughs> I will do that. That is uh, our music editor, Sharon Highland. Don't forget to check out the podcast that we co-host together called 90s Now. And you can follow us on all uh, podcast platforms, uh, just like where you found Kelly Alexander show. And of course, you can follow Sharon on her social media at the Sharon Highland. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks, Kel. The Kelly Alexander Show. There you have it. Another episode of The Kelly Alexander Show. And as always, thank you so much for spending time with us on the program this week. We want to thank our guests as well, Kevin Quinn and Sharon Highland. My thanks going to our producer, Andrew Sabino, for doing such a wonderful job putting everything together. And don't forget that you can listen to us on all the major podcast platforms. Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. And we also invite you to check out some of our interviews on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Kelly Alexander Show. Have an amazing week. You and I will chat soon. The Kelly Alexander Show.